ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. I can't win for losing today, man. I'm batting we. I'm gonna say we. Like I said earlier, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna blame you a little bit. Uh, we're batting a thousand. <laughs> we were seven minutes into recording, and uh, mess started going haywire. So, um, it's always hard to revamp the intro, but we will try our damnedest, man. So I'm on with Andrew Miller of Ancient. Um, let's see. We uh, yeah, we talked about getting on a couple weeks ago. Um, text dm schedules man and 10 minutes before we were supposed to record hit me and said are we doing the damn thing and and here we are <laughs> and then we get in <laughs> we get into it a few minutes and shit starts going down on the uh on the mac mini here which is a first so it looks like we're good here man so i'll let you roll with it let's talk about ancient um we missed all my sniveling and crying but we'll talk about that later <laughs> get folks caught up to the previous conversation at some point man Oh. I'd rather fuck yours than mine, to be honest. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's just revamp it then. So we were uh, last time Andrew and I were together. We were uh, at the math shoot. Was that uh, that was at Eagle Point, ten thousand four hundred feet at base, and uh, man, I was miserable. You were rolling up to the booth on Sunday morning. I think it was about 6, 6.30 in the morning. And I was already packing up the truck. I was taking the hammock down, man, throwing my shit in the back seat and trying to drop elevation. Um, dude, I, my head, I've never had a headache like that, man. I was dizzy. I was, you know, had nausea. That that acute mountain sickness or uh, altitude sickness had me. I mean, it had a good grip on me. I took migraine stuff. Somebody had prescription migraine uh, meds and it, it gave me relief for maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half. 
but I just couldn't find my way that weekend, man. It was, uh, it sucked, dude. I told you I had some whiskey in the trailer. I, I know. There. Well, it was funny because you were <laughs> like, hey, man, go, you know, the generator's on, you know, go grab a shower. There's a crew again there. And, uh, man, as good as it sounded, you know, because I had a 10-hour drive home. And as good yeah. as it sounded, I just wanted out of elevation, dude. I just wanted down the yep. mountain, you know, drop the L. Let me let me see if that provides some relief. What was a trip is going down. I hit about 7,500, I think, was the uh, the L marker on the road there. It, and there was a noticeable difference. You know how you're dropping and, you're, you know, you kind of equalize, your ears pop or whatnot. And I hit that 75-ish mark. And uh, there was a noticeable difference. When I got down to Beaver, man, the, the headache was pretty much just gone. Um, wow. You know, I was still a little bit out of it. Uh, my night's sleep, you know, Saturday night into Sunday, that that was the worst sleep I've ever had in my hammock. Dude, that, uh, yeah, you could have that altitude sickness crap. <laughs> I'm good. I know you compared me. You compared me to your wife there a few minutes ago, but uh, yeah, we'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only other person I know that's had it. You were saying you're you're in pretty good shape right now. You know, we're grinding through the 75 hard and, and doing a lot of running and stuff. And uh, she's always in really good shape. So I wonder if that's you know one of the one of those attributes that don't help us uh, when we get up there. Right. Well, and it's counterintuitive to it, right? Everything yeah. that I've read and and researched since then, and it's been like two weeks of like almost every day trying to read something about it and understand it. Um, that's one of the things. Yeah, they say that the better shape you're in, the more susceptible you are to it. Um, and there's really, it, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason why we get it. You know, it affects men more than women. I mean, there's just so many variables and so many unanswered questions with all the research that's out there. It's, it's pretty interesting. I will say a couple podcasts are coming um, just about that. So I'm pretty excited to share that with folks so they can, you know, with September and seasons coming, um, help folks get a handle on that and understand it. Too bad there's not a preventative for it, but. Yeah. That'd be terrible, man. You spend a couple months getting getting an elk shape, you get up there and your head's just pounding the whole time. Yeah, drop elevation. <laughs> that's, <laughs> get that's, down. that's really yeah. I mean, really, that's the relief there, you know, because for me it was, you know, they say that acclimation is and it depends on what you read, right? I've seen anything everything from twenty-four hours to seven or eight days. Um, I mean, who wants to suffer for seven or eight days at, you know, at elevation or higher elevation than what your body is, you know, acclimating too faster. But um, it is, it really is about getting off the mountain. Well, you have to focus on those alfalfa fields. Yeah, yeah <laughs> buddy. Uh, I don't have uh, seven to $10,000 to focus on them. <laughs> <laughs> they chase them off of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> But shoot, man, let's jump into it. Um, you know, let's uh, jump into ancient, man. Let folks know, you know, what ancient is, how it came to be, et cetera, et cetera, man. Looks like uh, the computer is acting right for the moment. All right. Um, it's about a two-year-old concept at the moment. Uh, I've just been shooting from the hip and uh, feeling it out. It kind of it started a couple years back. Uh, me and my dad were hunting in Arizona. I do the um, the December mule deer hunts over there the over-the-counter hunts just about every year and we were stalking in on some deer we were about 200 yards out my dad said he was going to hold back and uh, just let me go in there and try to get after him there's a bunch of does and one buck and i get about 100 yards from him and i'm ranging the deer about 100 yards from the deer 
I'd make it to 50, 60 yards of the deer and everything blows up just like it always does when I try to stock stuff in Arizona. And uh, as I'm heading back to meet up with my dad, he says, you know, what's really wild is I could, I could hear you at a hundred yards. So I know for damn sure those deer could hear you at a hundred yards. And I was wearing typical, you know, hunting boots. I won't say the name. I don't want to put anybody on blast, but um, there was just nothing you could really do in that, in that terrain to, to silence yourself. And um, I kind of threw that concept of having a silent shoe in my back pocket and worked, you know, focused on myself for a couple of years, uh, lost a bunch of weight, got really fit, built up some self-confidence and then kind of hit the drawing board again on what do I want to, what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to do <laughs> type of thing and felt pretty, uh, limitless. So I, I kind of created this whole concept backwards. I picked, um, you know, who do I want to work with? Uh, I've had some, some previous endeavors in the outdoor industry and I sold optics, uh, Swarovski vortex optics, stuff like that to different guys, but I was just focused on forums. That was kind of before social media really blew up. Um, but they're just selling other people's product is a little bit of a dead end road unless you've got a big platform to do it from. So I knew I liked working with archery hunters. Um, put that in my back pocket. Um, I knew I had this, you know, silent shoe concept in the back of my head that I wanted to scratch out on paper. Uh, I know I've got an addiction to quality footwear and, you know, when I look at something, it's got to have appeal. I grew up a uh, high school rodeo and skateboarding. And it was always about like, who's got the coolest Osiris, who's got the coolest DCs, you know, what, what, uh, what muskas are out now. And then when I got into rodeo stuff, it was all about like the Lucases with the, you know, gator and ostrich and just flashy shoes. So I just had this passion for adding some flair to my style. And I just kind of started from the ground up with a shoe build. Um, I knew suede. I wanted suede on the bottom to hold up and, and protect against cactus. Uh, a little bit of an insole in there to, you know, keep anything sharp, jagged rocks from stabbing into my feet. And then a, a full a full design, but I wasn't sure if I'd be able to source, you know, printed camos and, and some of this cool stuff until I really dove into it. And, uh, it all, it all came together way easier than it should have, um, for me to really hit the ground running, which kind of shows me, you know, I'll, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the easy route when it's given to you because some of my ideas that are in my black book are not the easy route. <laughs> I've lost, <laughs> I've lost a lot of money chasing those. And, uh, this one's just been doing awesome, man. It's, it's, uh, I, I denied myself from being a moccasin company for two years now. It wasn't until I was in, um, mountain archery fest in Beaver, Utah, where I had my first live show and everybody would, they'd walk by if they hadn't seen me on social media and they'd be like, Oh cool. Look at these moccasins. Oh cool. Look at these moccasins. And I was like, no, I'm a stocking shoe. I'm a stocking shoe. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I finally like you can't you can't deny yourself for that long, you know. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm a moxed company. Let's do it. Okay, so where do you, where and, do you uh, draw the line with something like that, right? What what defines a stocking shoe versus a moccasin? You know, I would um, I don't know. Just an all leather, flexible, soft shoe could probably be thrown into that moccasin category. You know, that's that's everybody's just quick definition. Like when you see a rifle, you don't say, oh, that's a brownie. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, that's a that's a Creedmoor. You know, I mean, you're like, that's a rifle. You know, so I, I, I think it'd be really tough to get out of that 
uh, moccasin realm with with most people. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to recreate people's mindsets in the stocking shoe. I'll just accept moccasin and uh, and run with it. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it actually, you know, when you when you, I, I guess it 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 serves both, right? Because you talk stocking shoe, and and typically, like first thing that comes to my head is something that slips over your boots, um, and then you got the ones that have the like the faux wool on the bottom. Um, you know, you can go boots or bootless and kind of, you know, almost like a, like a slipper and then the kind that Velcro on and whatnot. So I think yours would, would fit the bill on both ends, man. I just don't, yeah. I don't know why you have a rub with the moccasin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't anymore. As of two weeks ago, I'm, I'm fully accepted. <laughs> there you go. How, how was that show but, yeah. for you, man? How was math for it you? It was a lot of fun. I mean, you talk about how to uh, how to dial in your elevator speech. You know what I mean? I had it I had it down within about an hour, but I never showed up with one. You know, but when people start people start wandering into your booth and checking out your products, you're trying to keep that uh, energy going and, and you know give them some stuff. I didn't want to just sit back and let people browse in and out on their own. You know, I kind of wanted to, to be engaging and, and get to know people. And obviously, these are all my people, so it's it's kind of easy to start conversations. But when we start diving into the product. Um, I, I brushed up and created an elevator speech real quick. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, that's important, right? I mean, as a, as a consumer, right. If, if it's me and I'm walking by and, and checking out something, um, you walk up to a booth and the guys are just sitting there staring at you. Um, yeah. As intrigued as you may be by something, it, it is, it is pretty off-putting, right? Not to have a conversation or not, you know, to have that greeting and them, you know, ask if you have questions and whatnot. Uh, yeah, that's a rough one, man. And like you said, it's, you know, it's your people, it's our people, right? You're sitting there, you're, you're amongst hunters and archers. Uh, so to just sit there and kind of stare from the chair at them, man, is like, uh, yeah, you're blowing sales there. <laughs> <laughs> not only that but i mean my day-to-day -day, that was the first time i'd gotten out of town in a couple of months uh my day-to-day -day, i start at 4 a.m i go to the gym i come home uh shower cook breakfast log into my computer the kids have been home with me so I, I've, i'm working full-time as an engineer uh, i got the shoe business going i've got two kids at home um you know it's just been it's been non-stop so i get out there and i'm like it's quiet and all i have to do is talk to people you know like yeah. i was up i was up and at them every morning just ready to hit my normal routine of you know blowing through the door at 4 30 a.m and not stopping until my head hits the pillow heck yeah uh, and yeah you were kind of the first one up to the booth every day um at that one Honestly, I think the schedule, they wanted us there at like nine or 10 and I was set up and ready to roll by like 630, you know, like, yeah. I, I like our birds. Like let's, let's chat. It, it's nice though. Right. Cause you kind of get in your element and you're just, you're really enjoying the mountain while it's quiet, you know? Um, and a lot of folks are starting to, you know, get up there at seven, seven thirty, man, to hit those courses. You know, that's a missed opportunity if you're not in that booth. Not only that, but I was set up, uh, my booth is right next to the practice range. Mm -hmm. So like I'd be there everything's dialed in like the second day, you know, I had a pretty good system going and uh, I'd had everything set up and ready to roll. And I'm like, Oh, let me go grab my bow. You know, Heck I got yeah. like an hour, hour to have this badass practice range all to myself. Yeah. And it's hard. That was a hard thing for me, right? I didn't booth up at, at the last one, but I was at uh, purgatory and I'll be at snow basin. And the hard thing for me was staying off the dang mountain. Uh, that's the reason that I went to the, to the Eagle point one, just so I could shoot that event. Um, 
you know, you're hearing everybody talk about the course and you're sitting there green with envy, man. It's like, dang, I want to go, I want to go lose some carbon. <laughs> well, it's funny is I had all those courses memorized. I didn't step foot on them. I was like, <laughs> I'm picking everybody's brain. Like, man, what's it like? I'm chomping at the bit to get out there and, and do some shooting. But, uh, I was like, contractually, I think I have to be in this booth all day. Yeah. That's so, uh, that, my I, home base. I tell you what, that cryptic course, dude, it, <laughs> You want to talk about a killer? That thing was almost five miles long, right? Ugh. Five yeah. miles. I mean, I think it, it logged like four, four, eight, three or four, eight, six. And, uh, you know, typically a course is set up. So you, I shouldn't say they're typically set up that way. The, the challenge is not to destroy or lose arrows, right? It, on most courses, that course had less to do about the carbon and more to do about breaking your spirit because you come around the corner on the next one and you looking like okay where the hell where the hell am i going and then you start to see the ribbons laying out the trail and you're like good lord man that was the goal yeah there's people would come over and talk to me like hey what course should we hit and i i would usually refer them to the pope and young just because i wanted to go and check out all the replicas man i couldn't imagine how much money they got in replicas out there would they have like 35 targets uh, and they were replica yeah. world class animals i'm yeah. like that's why it that that is probably well between that and base maps i really like both those courses but that pope and young uh course we shot at uh at purgatory and dude it's so cool to go up right you got the the educational piece right at at every marker you know every shooting marker and you get to read about the animal and what it scored and and to realize that that is a world-class, you know, rack or whatever it is sitting there is just phenomenal. And it's funny on some of them, right? Because you got this giant 406 inch, you know, bull uh, rack sitting on this foam target. And it's like dinking it because the rack is so daggum big, dude. It's a, <laughs> it's a pretty neat course, man. It, it's fun. It's not, you know, it's not a difficult course by any stretch of the imagination, but that educational piece, man, it, it did offer something that was, uh, that was really cool. Just a different approach that Brandon has on that. In the, uh, in the sheep hunting world, there's, they're actually called mini heads. You know what I mean? Where you'll get a, uh, you'll get a ram or something that's just genetically got a smaller body and you'll have to pick that thing apart for hours and hours trying to see if he breaks that, you know, 170, 180 mark, because you're like, I can't tell if that's just a tiny bodied ram. Or, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean about the uh, the awkward body size to giant headgear. Yeah, it's a that's a cool course, man. I you know that 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 entire event though, and I've said it on another maybe a couple other podcasts. It just it just lends itself to man, just a it's just a good time all around, right? There's no there's no egos. You're just out having a good time with like minded folks. Um, you know, people are take. you got guys that are taking their time, just shooting the breeze, you know, and then you got guys that are, that are out there just serious as a heart attack. Um, you know, just trying to 12, 12, every shot. Um, but no one that, but there's not an ego out of chest pumped out anywhere out there, man. It's a trip. That's, I mean, that's half my inspiration for starting a business in the archery you know, industry. Just, I, I, those are my people, you know what I mean? Like I, we can get along great with bullshit. I mean, I, I spend more time talking to people about their hunts than I do selling them shoes. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> you know, like I just start diving into people, diving in with people in conversations and stuff. And if you're going to, if you're going to try to make a living doing something, you know, at least try to halfway design it around something you enjoy doing because I don't know. 
I don't know if this would have lasted anywhere near as long if I wasn't enjoying the people that I'm talking to. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do something on your own, right, it, it's got to be something you enjoy. Well, that saying's kind of BS, you know, do it, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I don't know if that, if there's any truth really to that. <laughs> it, I don't know if I'd want that, man. I kind of like the work. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, uh, that's what helps me sleep at night. I, I can't talk to people all day or send emails all day and be tired, you know? Yeah. It's uh and then what, what kind of engineering do you do? Is it civil or? Uh, so I'm project management. Um, with the utility company that I'm at, uh, I don't have an engineering degree, but I'm as high as you can go in the engineering department without having that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so my title is engineering, but my actual job function is basically project management. Um, on a day-to-day basis, I facilitate replacement of gas facilities. Like I'll do entire neighborhoods, everything from the uh, design phase to the cost estimates to getting it turned out to contractors and then being with that project from start to finish. I think right now I've got seven or eight different replacement projects going on here. I'm in Vegas. So it's the, uh, the Vegas Valley is my main focus. And I get a lot of leeway there. It's, it's a, it's a great day job. Um, I can, you know, find all these old gas facilities that are close to home and, you know, let's replace these, let's replace these. And my, my, the company's on a mission to just re-up everything to kind of new standards. So just going and going. Yeah, it's funny that you say because I'm in I'm on the civil side of things. And uh, I, I don't, you know, I got a project. Uh, so that project, I don't know, value-wise, like 60 million bucks, right? I got five engineers, um, four of which have degrees, but they're all in project management. <laughs> a couple of them just push bills through, right, to the agency. So it's... Uh, <laughs> in the big scheme of things, man, you know, that, uh, that degree doesn't amount to much when you, when you get out into the real world, unless you're in, you know, the design side of things. Um, and especially if you don't have a stamp, right. Cause there's a lot of folks that don't, at least here that don't even have a stamp, but have the degree. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's literally no, um, difference in our day-to-day jobs. No. Um, you know, maybe, me versus a, an engineer with a master's degree at my company. There's, we're doing the same exact tasks on a daily basis. Like there's no, there's no technical engineering actually going on. You know, the design firms handle a lot of that stuff and, and we're for the most part, just project management. Yeah. yeah. I'll get off of that. Cause that, that definitely feels like work. <laughs> <laughs> so man, uh, a little bit, I, and I'm bouncing all over the place here, but you, you brought stuff up and I don't want to miss it. So that, that Arizona OTC has, has gained some, some popularity over the last call it, you know, seven, eight years. Um, and it, it really, it, it still is, but a lot of that used to be, you know, just dumb, ruddy bucks, man. And it wasn't, you know, that difficult of a hunt. Um, have you seen any change over the years with the popularity of that? I know, you know, getting in within 50, 60 yards, my my opinion of that hunt, it's, you know, you're averaging a 70, 80 yard shot across that moonscape unless you're stalking in. Um, what's uh, What have you seen with the change in that hunt over the years? It's definitely the land of long bombs. If you want to, you know, send some arrows that uh, my preferred method is to get up close. You know, I've, I've made long shots before and even if it's a clean miss, I still live with that regret. You know, I'm like, what if I got 20 yards closer? What if I got 30 yards closer? I could have had a deer in the truck right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the, the spotlight or attention on these over the counter hunts, like it's, 
it's good to get people out. Uh, I appreciate that there's more hunters in the field. I definitely notice it out there. Um, a lot of guys that are creating the content on these over-the-counter hunts, you know, I guess they're, you could label them almost as like opportunity hunts. You know, it's like when when the seasons start dying down, some of these content companies are looking for stuff to talk about. They're like, oh, let's talk about this hunt. Whether they've done it or not, you know, they start blowing stuff up. And it, it it's definitely kept me moving uh, from unit to unit as I see uh, some of the media come out or somebody writes an article on a specific area in Arizona and talking about these mule deer and they start posting stats about, you know, the trophy quality and this and that, like, in my opinion, for these over the counter hunts, like I'm, I'm mainly focused on meat. You know what I mean? I still want a mature animal. I'm not going to shoot anything less than like a three point while I'm out there, but it's just, I can, I can, from where I live, I can hunt Arizona within 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so I can get up at 3 a.m. and go out there and do a fun morning hunt and then head back home. Uh, but with the exposure it's had, there's several million people in the valley that I live in that now know about it as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it keeps pushing me out a little further, 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 looking for units where I'm like, all right, guys, can't day hunt this from where I'm at. Like, I got to get out a little farther. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 made a big difference out there. Like, I keep running into guys. and I'm like, hey, how did you guys uh, how'd you guys hear about this area? I'm like, oh, we read an article here. and we come check it out and it's it's there's definitely results you know immediately from those articles uh and in people's interest and it's it's getting a lot harder to draw tags in the western states um so i think it appeals to a lot of guys to where they're actually planning them you know i was it was always just a a backfall for me uh to be able to get out there and chase some deer and see if there's anything hanging out in the desert and stuff but i think a lot of guys are actually planning their years around it you know where they can they can build points in their home state or whatever and always rely on that um over the counter hunt to just get out and and get some opportunity but they still get to get out and hunt yeah Um, which is it's awesome but it's uh it makes things tough that's kind of a double-edged sword right as as we want to grow and and as the you know our our media um exposes these things i i'm I'm trying to i'm I'm trying to not but i don't feel the same (laughs) I'm, i'm trying not to offend anybody um yeah it's easy for guys to say yeah this otc you know this otc unit call it you know uh unit 22 right this is where we're at blah 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 blah. they show the footage um you wouldn't give out a a prime area right i mean it's it's a weird it's a weird thing um as as those numbers increase too we see the success rates go down and i don't know that guys are really paying attention to that right I, I guess they are seeing that opportunity um and just going after it and not paying attention to a success rate on it but you know that ebb and flow into those units as the media chases them or, or exposes them rather uh it, it's a pretty interesting thing i haven't done that hunt in three to four years something like that um because of the crowds um and then you you hear you know guys basically jumping deer you know that a guy is clearly stalking in on um that kind of stuff i try to avoid uh i don't have the the temperament to you know when it comes to ethics (laughs) or etiquette you know what i mean so it's like man i've been avoiding it but it really does lend something to increasing the time out you know in season 
I mean, I'm that that hunt's taking you into February, whereas you know that's an extra thirty days. My hunt here at home, it ends you know December thirty first. What do I do after that? You know, wait another mm -hmm. eight nine months. Yeah, and going back to what you said about the guys that you know mention a specific unit when they're doing this um, content and stuff, it's you know what's hard is is most of the guys that are creating the content and and putting that stuff out there they've got eight, 10 hunts to go on a year. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a high value to them to just start mentioning specifics and locations and what they're doing. Like, uh, but there's guys like you and I, where it's like, Hey, I've got a specific unit that I enjoy hunting. And some people found out about it. Now you're out here writing an article and you're going to tell the world and it doesn't matter to you at all, but I've actually got time invested out here. Right. <laughs> I mean, like that's, that's the frustrating part. They're like, Hey, we just uh, picked a spot on the map, came out of here and they happen to end up, you know, anywhere near where you're at and write an entire article about it. Next thing you know, it's just blown up and you, <laughs> you've got four or five, six years of, of experience in that unit. And that's, I mean, some of those, the, the reason that Arizona gives those over the counter tags out is because it's not a, it's not a chip shot, you know? Right. Um, that's, you say the success rates drop and that's just a numbers game. You know, you get more guys out there that think that's just rutting bucks all over the place. No, they're still, they're still mule deer. They're still smart. They still want to survive. Um, so it's not like they're just running into your lap, you know? Well, and then the, and, in my opinion of it is, is the quality starts to diminish as well. Right. Because you get out there and you get guys that, you know, go a year and they realize that, man, I'm not, I'm not getting in on this three, four point, you know, this, this buck that has a couple, three years under his belt. Um, and it's any, it's any buck. Right. So now we start taking, for the lack of a better word, right? Uh, underage or dinks, right? It's something that, that most of us wouldn't choose to shoot, but there's a level of, I'm out here, it's legal, I'm taking it, right? That that desperation settles in. Um, and over time, that's gonna affect the quality of buck that we see in those units. I think there's two big factors in that. There's, yeah, there's what you were just talking about. I mean, if you, travel a couple hundred miles on an over-the-counter tag you're, you don't want to go home empty-handed you know what i mean last day you're like spike hammered come out you know, <laughs> you know like yeah how am i going to go home to the old lady after spending 500 bucks on a tag with nothing you know so uh there's that factor and then there's also the factor of um you know guys aren't 100 percent invested in those because they're like oh i can come back and hunt it this year mm -hmm. so i think that they not all, not everybody, obviously, but but some guys are a little bit more careless. Like if you were, if you had a strip tag, as compared to one of these over-the-counter tags, you'd probably make your stocks a little more cautious um, going in on a deer after waiting 20 years to hunt that that unit. You know, you really want to make it happen. But some guys kind of go in careless because they're like, oh, I can just buy another tag next year if this doesn't pan out, and they're they're educating those deer. You know I mean, which is which is generational. That's huge. I mean, that that bleeds on for for a long time, you know, like, Oh, be careful about that tree. Last time I walked past it, there was a guy sitting behind it. Let's change our route. Let's go here. Let's do that. You know, and they, they, those deer, they're not hard to, hard to educate. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, well, opinions again, right. There's a lot of education going on every year. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I'm sure I've lent some of my uh, mishaps to that education at a point. But yeah, it does make it difficult, man. It's it's an interesting topic. And then, you know, for residents that, and you see that more and more right across, not just with Arizona, but across the West, uh, where, where more states, more resident hunters are starting to get boisterous about non-resident opportunities and wanting to really 
diminish to a point the tag allocation to non-residents and limit the OTC opportunities for non-res um, because of things like that. I mean, and, and you know, bump the revenue thing. Um, you know, like you look at Wyoming, right? They're a 80-20 allocation. Um, when they went to the 80-20, they just raised the price to the non-res tag. Now they're talking about going to a 90-10 that revenue from that, split is just going to increase on the non-res side. So they're really not concerned with the, the revenue aspect or losing that revenue. So it's getting harder and harder, man. I think, uh, I don't even know if there's an answer to that. Um, that's just me thinking out loud, I guess. Yeah. I think these, I think a lot of these over the counter hunts won't last much longer. You know, um, that's just my gut feeling. I don't follow a lot of the, the council meetings and the, the, the game and fish meetings and stuff like that. But I know that even Arizona is already starting to talk about, you know, somebody, I think they took a couple of units away this year that were over the counter and started making them draw units, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I, I would imagine that it's probably the same units that, you know, you could go on a website or, you know, and, and find articles or videos on them. You know what I mean? They get, they get pressured so hard and department of wildlife just says, Hey, we're, we're not going to do this over the counter anymore. You know, these guys are actually out here killing deer because there's five times more guys out there hunting that unit. You know, there's no, like with Arizona, there's no, no limits of how many of where you can hunt. You know what I mean? They don't allocate, even though you have this over the counter tag, it's designated for this unit only. It's any over the counter unit. So if one gets a lot of attention, they're going to pull that right off the board and say, Hey, this is a draw unit now. Yeah. They, you know, which is, it's just it's a slippery slope. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, Arizona, you know, they just yanked the, the, the trail cams. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that looks like a step in that direction. I mean, there's a whole, that's hours of discussion as to why they're doing that and you know the the viability of it um but it, i think that all plays into it right it's it's affecting affecting herds yeah absolutely and and it's hard for them to you know keep on top of that when the rut comes around and all the bucks get smoked out of a unit you know they're trying to do their their census and trying to count deer and animals and make sure all the herds are healthy and things are getting pressured so hard in one spot. I'd imagine it throws a lot of things off there. I mean, they, it's funny. There's a couple of, a couple of photos and videos and that, you know, you got your, your guzzlers and your water holes or whatnot, and there'll be 30, 40 cameras around one guzzler. Um, that's a lot of disturbance for those animals, man. So there's uh it's interesting. It's an interesting realm. There's, there's more than enough podcasts that have been uh, up on that. Um, talking about that game cam thing that is just, uh, it's kind of mind blowing. Like, I don't even know where I stand on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I still haven't, I haven't picked a spot, you know, it's, uh, I guess there's a lot of research to do and to, to figure out where I stand on pro or anti camera. I mean, they're definitely helpful. I've, I've ran with guides before and, um, you know, Nevada changed their laws a while back where it's a, just a very short season, you know? So if you don't, if you don't have an archery tag by the time that the game camera are supposed to be pulled off of the water sources and, you know, all they're doing is teasing you at that point. You know I mean? You're out looking at deer in, in July, August with trail cameras. Well, when your October, November tag comes around, there's a fair chance. That's not just a resident buck. That's going to hang out of that water hole, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a, I don't know, man, that again, it's, I don't want to say a slippery slope, but it's a, it's an interesting thing when you talk about guides and, you know, folks that are making a living um, on that. I see an absolute, 
necessity, you know, or why I would justify, you know, guides, uh, outfitters, you know, having the ability maybe to even pay for a trail camera tag, if you will. Right. Um, but it is create, it's a job, right? Do they, do they lose revenue because they're not allowed to place those cameras? Do they lose clientele because now they don't know outside of, you know, physically glassing, uh, doing the work of the camera, um, you know, what that area looks like or what it's holding in any given year. Um, on the other end of that, what, what did we do before, for, uh, before trail cameras? I don't think we, uh, we didn't post how big our deer was on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right that that's where it, that's where it lies, man. Um, and that's a lot of it, right? I mean, shit, there's been a couple over the last year or two, there's been a couple of like full on battles, about you know a guy taking an elk and oh we had this elk on this trail cam there's no way that you shot him over there i mean just all kind of shit that happens um just you know in our demographic man with those battles is uh that's horrible i don't know that i don't know if yeah you um have you ever listened to the dirty giants podcast no uh super cool guy but he's real close to the strip there in uh, arizona i think he's in utah and he, he he interviews a lot of those guides that spend time down on the strip you know, and like what you were saying, we had this buck on that camera and this and that, like uh, just the heritage that some of those giant deer live out, you know, they're a household name for four or five years before they die. And it's like, oh yeah, Tony was on them this year and uh, we let him go ahead and have them. And then, you know, uh, Jay Scott was out there and, and I knew that he was chasing, you know, Ralphie. Uh, so we kind of, we, we made a move on our second, but, you know, it's just crazy how, uh, <laughs> how, categorized, how categorized some of these deer are, you know, like they, they will almost work together. Uh, a lot of the outfitting crews like, Hey, that's, he's a 220 buck this year, but I think he's going to hit that 230 inch mark next year. Like, can we all just agree to let him, you know, let him, let him have that extra year? You know, it's just, it's wild how, how it's almost self-managing um, when you get into those units, you know, and, and pulling those trail cameras away. I think it's, it's going to make a huge difference for the guys that are part-time outfitters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you've got a day job and you got wife and kids at home and you're providing with your day job and you don't get out in glass uh, as much as somebody who's just strictly a, you know, full-time outfitter, then it's, it's definitely going to make it a whole lot tougher, you know, cause they were relying on those cameras a whole lot more. Some of those guys live in those units you know, day in and day out. And I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, but other guys that are, you know, part-time outfitters, uh, I think that's where it's going to kind of clean the industry. But, you know. Yeah. That, uh, again, man, uh, for the lack of a better word or phrase, slippery slope. Um, I think we have a lot of, a lot that we're up against as a demographic, you know, as an industry over the next few years, man, with some of the stuff we've seen, especially, you know, last year with some of these bills and, you know, assembly bills and whatnot, Senate bills coming through. Um, what, whatever it is, we got to figure out how to work through it, you know, as as a whole um, and, and kill some of these divides, you know, here and that. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out that uh, that Dirty Giants, but here and, you know, guys working together, that's that's really how it should be. I mean, I, I know it's a difficult thing at, at times because it's a livelihood, but uh, I mean, really, that's how that's how I see it. Right. I, 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 I hold us as hunters. I hold us at a higher, 
I, I just think we have a better value set than most folks. <laughs> you know, it's it's weird that we can uh, we can compose that until we let that two twenty buck turn into a two thirty buck, and then you start about, <laughs> and you start hearing about the fist bites. <laughs> Son of a bitch! You knew I was chasing him. <laughs> yeah. All right. About we- some crazy. Yeah, I, I don't want to. We won't go that far down that freaking rabbit hole, man. Because uh, <laughs> we want folks to buy uh, your moccasins. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was, like I said, I was rabbit holing us, getting kind of all over the place there, man. Um, so in terms of ancient, man, why don't you know talk about talk about the build um, of the of the stalker of the moccasin, however you know folks look at it. Um, and, and what sets it apart? Um, you know, where, where I sat on the mountainside and, and put this concept on paper, um, when I was, I didn't know half of the concepts that are out there actually existed. Like I can say this was like a, a unique design, not based off of anybody else's stuff because I'd never had social media prior to starting this company. Now, I didn't have any personal Facebook, uh, social media, Instagram, anything. Um, and I just, you know, looked around at the elements that I wanted to protect my feet from. Um, and, and once I kind of dove into social media and started seeing some of the solutions, even at that point, I wasn't terribly discouraged because I could see, I could see uses for some of the other products that are out there, uh, but nothing for where I was at and what I was doing. You know, I'm hiking through Chola cactus patches. Um, I sheep hunt on shale, um, you know, just a lot of diverse stuff. And a lot of the options that I saw out there, I was like, okay, I could see the purpose for that, but it's not for me, you know, that, that actual pinpointed focus. Um, so I think, you know, what se- separates mine apart is, I can hunt in them all day. I can hunt in them for a week. Um, it just depends on the terrain. You know, if you're, if you're loading up a 40, 50, 60 pound pack and hiking in a couple of miles, you know, you still need that ankle support. And, you know, people try to sometimes put me into a category, um, that I I'll deny when they, when they actually bring it to me, you know, they're like, Hey, I hunt swamps, you know, how would these do? And I'm like, bro, you need like muck boots. Uh, like just, uh, some crazy inquiries. Like, I'm glad to know that the, you know, the marketing efforts that I'm doing and the pictures are intriguing people, but uh, you know, w- footwear in the world of footwear, there's, I, I haven't found another product that's more purpose built. You know what I mean? And I didn't realize that until I really dove into it, but this morning I drove to the gym, I got my workout shoes and then I got my lifters, you know, which are strictly for weightlifting. Um, you got running shoes, you've got hiking shoes, you've got trail runners, which are specific for moving fast paced on a trail with lightweight. You know, it's just an, ex- an ex- <clears throat> excuse me, an extremely purpose-built market. Um, so I think there's tons of room for, for different ideas and concepts and guys, you know, a lot of guys hunt differently. I've had a couple of guys, um, you know, send me DMs like, Hey man, I'd never wear your shoes. And I'm like, well, I, yeah, I'm not making you, you know, like <laughs> if, they, if they don't fit your purpose, man, I get it. Like there's some guys that hunt, you know, British Columbia doll sheep all year, every year. And I'm like, it's probably not the best choice of footwear, you know, you're rifle hunting, you're in shale and ice and snow and rain. And, you know, like out where I'm hunting, the only water that I find is in a is in a water trough or like a, a seep in a rock. You know what I mean? It's, it's rarely ever muddy. Um, it's rarely ever swampy. It's rarely ever icy. 
Uh, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, if you come into those conditions, you still have that protection. You know I mean? If that's the only pair of shoes you got on, you can survive just fine um, getting through that stuff. And I saw you on a live. This was, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half ago. Um, and there was a gentleman, I don't remember what he said. I, I want to say he said he was using like, uh, like bear fat or something to kind of help waterproof that top seam. And he was kind of where, I think he was in Canada. Um, and he was kind of wearing it through everything you're talking about. You know, he's talking about wearing them in, in snow and mud and, and the whole nine there. So you do have the potential um, to see some, uh, to see some elements in them, huh? Yeah. I mean, some people are psychopaths. You can't deny that. He's putting <laughs> cramp on moccasins, man. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm like, don't call me in a month if you blow through those things, because, uh, you know, that's not the intended purpose, you know? And I, I've had a guy call me, um, he said, it, it, he had his pair for like two or three months and he calls me. He's like, dude, I blew a hole through the bottom. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, there must be a lot of hiking or something. He's like, I work construction. You know, I was He's like, wearing oh. to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's what red wing boots are for, bro. Like I don't, you know, that's, um, but some people like that, that flexible, um, minimalist style footwear on a day-to-day basis and stuff. But I try to, I try to urge people, you know, like these were purpose built for off-road use only. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're not going to, you're not going to destroy them hunting off pavement, off concrete, you know, off of the, the hard elements, you know, they'll hold up for a long time. I mean, Sometimes I can't believe how much food waste I take to the garbage can each week. I throw away something on Monday, and by Friday, it's a disgusting, stinky mess smelling up my kitchen. Then I got a Lomi. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with a push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have way less garbage each week, and I have amazing fertilizer that my wife loves to use in our garden. I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of waste. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com forward slash Waypoint and use the promo code Waypoint to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Waypoint and use promo code Waypoint at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. Until you're sick of looking at them and you want another pair because I'm cranking out so many different styles. <laughs> that has to so, that has to be pretty satisfying, though, right? It, it, it is to see, you know, folks willing to put them through the ringer um, because they're so satisfied with them. I mean, that's that's a big deal, at least in my head. Yeah, absolutely. When I saw that guy putting crampons on and he's like, Hey man, just a heads up, these crampons fit perfect. And then he was sending me pictures of him like mountain climbing the side of a mountain going up snow and he's latched on and he's climbing up the mountain. And I was like, Hey man, your next pair's on me. Like, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to keep doing stuff like this. Like I want to find those limits, you know? And that's one of the biggest things I get asked, you know, is like, Hey, what's the life expectancy on these? And I'm like, well, are you mountain climbing with crampons? Are you working construction or are you just strictly stalking animals? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's uh, it's really hard to put a timeline on something like that. Like it's the same thing for boots or running shoes. You know, you can't ask somebody, you know, hey, how long are these running shoes going to last? It's like, well, how many miles do you run a day? Yeah. You know, consi- consistently, you know, there's not a, there's not really an average. Like what's the terrain like? Um, it's, uh, it's tough, you know? 
So is there any difference in, uh, so like the buckskin and the bison in terms of longevity and use or anything? Um, I haven't, like, I haven't been able to build a life expectancy chart, but as far as the, the materials, uh, the bison is a hundred percent bison from top to bottom. The buckskin is cowhide. I just called it the buckskin because it has that cool, um, kind of deer tan color to it. Mm-hmm. But the bison is touted as four times stronger than cowhide. Oh, wow. Um, but it's it's also a much thicker product. You know what I mean? Like if I got guys who are like, hey, I hunt the Arizona desert a lot in summertime. Uh, I was looking at the bisons, and I'm like, don't go bison, man. Like 100-degree weather with a foot wrapped in five-ounce bison is not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's a, that's a warm boot. You know what I mean? Like the – the early settlers knew what they were doing when they were utilizing that stuff as coats and, and jackets and footwear. Like that has got to be the the warmest material out there. And uh, this, I'm actually on I'm on version 2.0 of the the bison because the first stuff that I designed and, and started to run with, uh, it was burning up sewing machines and and breaking needles all over the place. And the people I'm working with on manufacturing called me and they like hey we can't do this like you're you're making a boot (laughs) 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 we're a moccasin manufacturer we're making boots over here like these are these are too much um and that was kind of my alternative to guys that are used to the real thick heavy you know like loas or mountaineering boots and stuff that i i feel like we've we've all been kind of programmed into for as you know backcountry hunters right uh, I know I ran them for years and I would take them off at the end of the day, like those real thick boots. I'd take them off at the end of the day from hunting the desert stuff and my feet were sore as hell. You know, and I'm like, that. why would my feet be sore? I'm in the desert with $600 boots on. Like, I don't understand what's going on here until I switched over to, you know, started wearing the, the lighter, um, you know, just hiking boots, not even in that, in the hunting industry. And then I started wearing sneakers when I was out there hunting. And then uh, I realized like, Hey, you can, you know, get away with, wearing a pair of moxins out here like it you don't need something gnarly heavy you know have you you bring that that lighter aspect up um have you noticed anything you know in terms of like foot fatigue right because at least in my experience if i go from something and it goes both ways but if i go from something you know i'm used to wearing stiffer boots um if i wear something that has a uh, a softer sole um, it, it seems like that, that muscle activation for whatever reason is different. Uh, if I, even if I take my boots off and, and just stalk in on the wools, uh, I start to feel things that I, that I typically wouldn't feel in my boots. Have you had any feedback in terms of that? Or have you noticed anything going from one to another in terms of, you know, how your foot responds to things? You know, I know I had a, um, a transition period you know, right around probably like a week or so. Uh, but it doesn't take, I think, you know, I'm not a foot doctor. I just play one on podcasts now because I own a shoe company. But <laughs> what I've, what I've realized is, is, you know, our feet aren't being used, you know what I mean? Like right. when's the last time I picked the trash out and had to walk across the rocks uh, barefoot, you know I mean? It took me 12 minutes and I think my patch of rocks is like a solid nine feet long. <laughs> you just end up tiptoeing and stuff like, but that, that resiliency, you know, your feet, resiliency builds up so fast you know where it's not like uh i've never i've never had prolonged foot muscle soreness um in in any footwear 
You know what I mean? So like, I, I think that's just one of the muscles in your body that adapts super quick to, to whatever you're doing to it. Um, and I know I had, you know, just a personal experience when I was, I worked construction for 15 years before I'm doing what I'm doing now. And I'd wear like the Dan post slip on style closed toe boots when I was out there working all the time. And I'm jumping off of flatbed trailers, jumping into backhoes, jumping off the backhoes, carrying stuff. And I had real bad, uh, plantar fasciitis. Uh-huh where when I'd get out of bed in the morning, it would take me 10 minutes of walking around like a freaking grandpa for, for those, all those muscles to warm up. And once I started transitioning over into more flexible footwear, uh, where, where my muscles could actually use like flex and move, um, it it's gone. You know what I mean? And I, all the research I did, it's like, Hey, it's something you learn to live with and, and you're never going to get rid of it. So for me personally, it's made a huge uh, benefit in, in just my, my feet, uh, using something a little bit more natural to our flexibility and, and what our feet do. Mm -hmm. I was looking up, uh, the plantar fasciitis, a buddy of mine, man, he, he suffers from that and I've never even looked at it. He suffers from that pretty bad. And that was the only contributing factor was me switching to something and softer, more flexible shoes to where you're actually activating those muscles during the day because your feet are locked up. The only thing you're activating is the tip of your toes, if that, when you're wearing a heavy, solid boot. You know, and then the, those those muscles start to give you problems if they're not being used and flexed and stretched like they're supposed to be. I remember I'd spend 20 minutes in the evening, you know, with my foot on like a tennis ball or like a hard rubber ball, just rolling that arch out constantly trying to, to ease the pain from that, that plantar fasciitis. But I, the only thing I can attribute it to is like a high heeled cowboy boot jumping off a trailers, doing construction, that impact, that hard stuff. And then having that hard sole that just resonated all that stuff right back into my feet. Mm -hmm. That's pretty interesting looking at this. In terms of how, yeah, how that affects and what muscles of the foot it affects. Yeah, that plantar muscle is a pain in the ass, man. That's true. I won't, yeah, we won't even dive into that. Um, and then in terms of, in terms of the sole, so you have your, your upper, then you have a six, uh, six mil open cell uh, foam inside, and then you have your, your suede bottoms. How does that, how does that stack up for me? Like, you know, I'll typically on a stock, and our early season stuff here, you know, take the boots off. And if, if I feel like I have time, I'll throw another pair of wools over the socks um, and stock in that way. But for me, man, if I step on a penny, dude, I have, I, I swear I have the most sensitive feet in the world. If I step on a penny, it's, you know, it's like stepping on a Lego for most, most folks. Um, even when I double up on the socks, man, it's like, it, it drives me nuts. So anything that's going to help, prevent that you know that ooh and an on on a stock is a big deal for me yeah and that was one of the biggest things i mean i played around with uh four or five different insoles um some of them i, I originally really wanted to go with a gel uh insole between the leather layers mm -hmm. but to me the gel was too much uh padding in there and with this pour on insole that i found you know you can you can feel everything that's underneath you. Nothing's sharp. Nothing's, nothing's painful. Um, but like before the rock shifts under your foot, you sense it before the, the branch breaks under your foot, you can feel that play, you know, but it, it takes people like when I, whenever I try people on for the first time, like, I guess the only time I do it is when they come to my house 
and um my kids got a box of legos you know and i'll throw the box of legos out and i'm gonna go ahead and cross it you know and instantly they're like oh god like this is gonna hurt you know and it takes like there's this weird reprogramming you have to do in your brain uh, when you put these on because you look at things and you're like it's gonna hurt because it feels like you have socks on i mean everything conforms it's super supple soft leather but when you step on something you're like wait it doesn't hurt that's I've got just enough padding there you know what i mean to like kind of break that that barrier of of this should hurt but it takes like like i said you got to kind of reprogram yourself to be like wait no i can just walk freely and not stare at the ground you know when you got a pair of socks on you're looking at every single rock every single edge trying not to um, step on anything sharp or anything that's going to hurt you or lay up for the rest of the hunt Heck and yeah. with these you can after after your brain makes that connection of like no i'm completely protected it just feels like nothing mm-hmm. uh, you can pick your head up and just go you know yeah because that sensory return on that i mean on that is huge man um the ability to feel i mean that's the point right um to quiet it down and and we're moving less but uh that sensory return can go either way and and i'm speaking from experience because i've blown some man you step on that that one rock and it rolls the wrong way and you you catch that angular side and uh yeah you're uh I'm not going to say I scream, but I'm going to say I was a little bit loud <laughs> on, uh, I did a, that was what, two years ago. And it was, uh, it was about a mile and a half stock. I mean, it's just wide open country, a mile and a half. It took me three hours to blow the stock because of a rock. Um, you want to talk about, uh, <laughs> pissed. Frustrated. Oh dude, I, I wasn't frustrated. I was pissed. But, you know, I know going in, I know how my feet are. And it it was, it was funny. So just long story short, since I went down that, um, you know, I get up there, I blow the stalk, I watch the deer run off. You know, I laugh at myself and I said, well, I'm not going to go back around the long way. I'll just beeline it straight back down. You know, I dropped the boots and I marked them. Well, wrong call, right? As I'm walking through and you're talking this, you know, dry grass, it's probably a foot and a half, two foot. And dude, I start to come down this hillside and I swear to God, it was like walking on nothing but small lava rock the whole way back. And it, you know, that mile and a half was, is, was about a half mile down that hill. And dude, it, uh, it hurt every single step. And all I could do was laugh. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Something like this is a yeah. lifesaver. Down barefoot too you know what i mean where you're like standing on stuff that's killing you and like it that'll kill a hunt when you're stuck you got eyes on you and you can't stay where you are you know due to that pain of something mm-hmm. poking you stabbing in your feet you gotta you i mean you'll throw away a freaking 380 bull just to get your foot comfortable you know you, you know what that stop let's talk stalking for a sec right because we're saying all this <laughs> that stalking is is an absolute it's an absolute skill and I don't care where you're hunting, what you're doing. You know, we, we run, we lift weights. Um, we do all this stuff to prep ourselves, right? There's nothing uh, outside of maybe yoga and holding long yoga poses that could compare to some of the precarious positions (laughs) and postures you find yourself in when you're stalking, man, unless you're working those small, those small muscles, um, dude, you're that, it can be, it can be pain on your foot, but there's nothing like having, you know, the, your abductors or adductors, you know, just firing away, trembling because your legs are crossed and you got, you know, the deer's looking at you now, or you spotted that doe that you didn't see and she has you pinned down for 20, 30 minutes, man. That's the absolute worst, man. I, I've, 
the the amount of fatigue I've experienced from being <laughs> pinned because you like you can't even in the gym like I do a lot of like the walking lunges and stuff like just to to build those muscles and like make sure because when you're archery deer hunting I mean I would say that thirty percent of the time you're hunched you're down you're low like you're trying to use cover and trying to move and do stuff and those are muscles that you don't even think about you know when you're when you're in the gym trying to get fit for a hunt but like doing those walking lunges and really using that stuff helps and uh i was saying the the adrenaline dump you go through you know what i mean when you're actually close enough when you think an animal can bust you yeah you know when you can that time when you can feel your heart and your throat and it feels like it's cutting off the circulation of your brain and everything's just the adrenaline's cranking everything's pumping like that's it's really hard to focus on staying uh mental or uh, physically stable <laughs> and you know worrying about if they can hear your heartbeat at the same time yeah dude your heart starts beating in your head it's like what the hell's going on so so in all honesty and in, in over the years how many stocks have you just been like Bucket, I'm done. Like mid stock, like just from from sitting there, just posed up. Oh, I I could think of at least four. <laughs> I'm glad you, you didn't know, say I'm, none. <laughs> no, or I'm pinned down and there's just a group of does milling around around me, and I'm staring at the ground, trying not to make eye contact, worrying if they're gonna hear me blink. You know, <laughs> like I've had dope wander over close to me after like 20 30 minutes they're like what is that like it's not moving it doesn't seem to be a threat and they come over you know they're standing there within like four or five yards of you and you're just losing your mind you can hear your brain you oh, know electric waves and your brain just going nuts <laughs> fire man i'm so yeah you get to the point like i can't anymore like i need a freaking snickers this yeah. is ridiculous boo <laughs> just blow them out yeah that uh i got stuck I don't know what what possessed me to do it. Me and a buddy were up north, and uh, man, this is years and years ago. And I could not. He had a shot, dude. This was a great buck, right? And he had a shot, and I could not. This is his first time seeing mule deer, and uh, I could not get him to move, let alone draw on this buck, right? Well, I'm not sure why I did what I did. I'm under this oak tree. I set him up, and I'm under an oak tree. And I set my bow down and my bow was probably five feet away from me in, in Southern California or, you know, Central California. This was um, in the summertime when our season starts, you know, those oak leaves, man, they're dry. I mean, they've been dry for months, weeks, and they're, you know, seven, eight inches thick. You're not moving. Like it's like walking on Pringles Well, I'm standing under this tree on a rock. I'm out of the leaves. This buck is 20, 25 yards from me. And I, for the life of me, dude, I could not figure out how to turn around and get my bow. And he knew something was going on. He couldn't figure it out. So he would, he'd come out in the clearing and then he'd jump back up in the, on the hill and he'd walk away a little bit. He'd look back down, he'd come back and he'd stomp and he'd blow and he couldn't figure out what he was doing. And I, I want to say that went on for 45 minutes and I'm looking at my buddy and I'm trying to get him to shoot the, the deer. And he's, you know, he keeps shaking his head no at me. And I finally just said, ah, fuck it. And I grabbed my, <laughs> I just grabbed my bow and I just started walking past him. Like, what are you doing? And that's when he, when we realized that, you know, hunting ain't for everybody. And it definitely wasn't for him. Uh, <laughs> he was like, man, that's the biggest, that's the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. I don't That thing was pissed off because it's stomping and blowing. It was pissed off and I wasn't shooting it. And it was, uh, it was a fiasco. Oh, but man, that, uh, yeah. Getting stuck in those positions sucks. 
Yeah. I was gonna you uh you put me on the spot with how many stocks have I blown from giving up. So I was gonna put you on the stock because it reminded me when you said you were stuck under that oak tree <laughs> of uh <laughs> how many animals have you seen while squatting down to drop a deuce? Oh dude. Like the fucking worse. <laughs> oh that's yeah, that's yeah. uh or or coming up from a nap. That's that's my Achilles heel. Right? Like, oh yeah. man, you know what? I goes off glassing and wake up and they're freaking hundred yards from you. Oh dude, like it's like, what the hell just happened there? You know, you, you, you're opening your eyes, you pop up and it's some bitch is like eyeballing you. And it's like, oh, I'm screwed here. This isn't happening. And it's never like the dink, right? It's not like the, the tiny buck or the doe and the fawn. It's like, that's a shooter right there. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said for giving up every once in a while. Oh, dude. You know what? Mountain naps, as good as they are, man, it's, I swear that'll, that'll kill you every time. Right. And you were talking about your buddy uh, not being able to draw back on that deer. Um, I guess I was just thinking about it, but I guess I could call myself an archery hunter for about 25 years now. Um, I was like 10 years old in Pennsylvania. And uh, my uncle, I got everybody's got a drunk uncle. It's like the first time I've ever been to Pennsylvania. And we're in his backyard, and uh, he's got these rabbit dogs that he can send out into the woods, and they come chasing rabbits back into the yard. So we're shooting a bunch of rabbits, stinking around. And then uh, he hands me his bow and I start shooting in the backyard. He's like, you're pretty good on that target. You want to go shoot a deer tomorrow? And I was like, well, sure. <laughs> and uh, go down, get a tag. And he's got a spot where he just sits on a rock and waits for these deer. It's like a normal routine for them to walk by. And in his front yard, I was perfectly fine drawing that bow back and shooting it. You know, I don't know what the poundage was on it, but I was, I was fine. And then, uh, we get on that rock and we're hanging out for about 45 minutes. He's like, all right, give it about five minutes. They'll, they'll come cruising by and the buck's usually in the front. You can smoke him. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, the buck gets to about 12 yards from us and he nudges me to start pulling back. And I go to start pulling that bow back slow and trying to be quiet. And I didn't get those cams a quarter of the way before I was just stuck. You know, there was nothing I could physically do to pull that to pull that bow back and actually get those cams to snap back. And uh, I looked over at, at him and I whispered and I was like, you have to grab my arm. He's like, what? Grab my arm, like pull my arm back. I can't, I can't draw, you know, everything that was going on. And that's what it reminded me of when you were talking about your buddy couldn't draw back. And I was like, I've been there, man. I, I still remember that feeling like it was yesterday. It was 25 years ago. And I still remember being stuck and, you know, just, oh, uh, his his wasn't because he couldn't draw the bow. His was because he was scared of the fucking mule deer. <laughs> <laughs> he was he wasn't dude. His eyes. Okay, so he has he has a full ma a face mask on. Right, he's sitting he's sitting in front of this this bush, and he has a full face mask on. And I I kid you not, Andrew, his eyes were silver dollars. All I could see was whites and and pupils. And we were probably thirty yards apart, man. And he was just I would I'm looking at him and I'm mouthing you know grab your bow. Pull your bow, kill it. You know, whatever I was saying. And all I can see is these big ass eyes shaking his head. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that he couldn't, uh, that he couldn't physically do it. He couldn't do it mentally, man. I, I've never, that was the first, right? I've never seen that again where, where somebody was scared of the, uh, scared of the damn deer, man. Uh, this is the best story. <laughs> oh, man. I'll, I'll, that that was probably one of the most memorable trips. So this is, I mean, you're we're talking years ago, right? So this area we had never hunted it, and uh, we had a hair up our ass to get some of uh, the self climbing tree stands. This is like when they first come out, 
And uh, we said, man, let's, you know, the, that, the next day, right? That, that was the first day. The next day I said, I'm gonna take this tree stand out. I'm gonna go over here. You know, I saw a bunch of, bunch of tracks going through that little draw there. So we, you know, we make our way down in the morning. And uh, I said, well, I'm gonna climb this tree. And then, you know, he's like, oh, where do I go? So I, you know, find him a tree where I can keep him in an eye shot and uh, send him up the tree, right? Well, I climb up my tree, I'm turning around and I'm kind of facing his area just so I can help him out. And I'm like, how come I don't see him? Like, I should have a, that's the tree. I know it's the tree I put him in and I'm probably up, I'm gonna say 20 feet. <laughs> and I never see him in the tree, right? And, and an hour goes by and nothing, it's just dead silent. A couple hours go by and then I hear, and I hear all this noise, I hear something hit the ground. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So then I, I hear walking. As I, I hear this walk and I look down and there's this small buck and he's feeding up to me. And I'm like, shit, this is a deer dead right here, you know? So then I hear, as this deer is making his way up, I hear, son of a bitch. And, I'm, and the deer just turns around and blows it. I'm like, fuck, okay, he blew this area. So I give it another 20, 30 minutes, man. I climb down this tree and I walk over and he's nowhere there. He's not there. And I'm like, well, where the hell is he? So I, you know, I hunt around, just do some some uh still hunting and then i head back i don't know three four hours later towards camp and he's sitting over there man he's fully you know he's out of camos everything and i'm like dude what happened he goes man this shit ain't for me he goes between the lions tigers and bears he goes i fell asleep in the damn thing i dropped my bow i almost fell out of the tree stand <laughs> <laughs> so all the noise I heard was this dude about to, you know, eat shit. And I go, well, I never, what tree did you get in? I never saw you in the tree. And he goes, I was in the one you told me. And I go, well, how high did he go? And he goes, I don't know. I was about this high. And he extends his hand up. So he was, he was just outside of his reach from the ground. dude. he was on ground level in the tree stand. <laughs> and uh, man, that was, that was probably one of the most, uh, most memorable trips ever, dude. It was uh it was we were batting a thousand on that one too it was awesome last year was uh in oregon the first time i ever sat in a ground blind we sat in there for like five or six hours but about the fourth hour there was a freaking squirrel behind us i lost my shit man i was so ready to kill a deer i thought it was a, <laughs> i thought it was every bit of a freaking 180 inch blacktail sneaking up behind us that uh them damn squirrels man <laughs> That was the only day I spent the blind. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. It's not yeah. me. I tried with my boy when he was younger and I bought us, you know, like a double bull or something like that. And, uh, I take it out, man, and set it up. So he, you know, he's four five, six years old wanting that time with him. And I think, I think he had more patience in the blind than I did. I mean, that just, even the tree stand thing, when I had that, I think that was the one and only time I used it. I just can't. I've always felt like I'm waiting for opportunity to cross my path instead of getting out and creating it. And I, I could just never get into it, man. I mean, to each his own, but that shit ain't for me. I, I think there, you know, there's a purpose for them, uh, but I could see like some open spots on the mountains when I'm sitting that ground blind. And I'm like, I have to go see what's over there. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like those little, those little open patches. Like I got to picture myself over there and then there's another open patch over there. I want to hit that patch. You know, like something I got better. I feel like I have better luck just covering ground than I do, you know, waiting for something. But um, in this particular area, it was just so thick and wooded and it was uh, it was wild. Yeah, I can't do it, man. So um, kind of 
jumping topics again, man. Uh, I want to make sure that folks understand that, right? Um, you know, it's, it's not just dudes out in the wood hunting or on the mountain hunting. Um, you do have the woman's line um, of footwear as well. I do. Yep. My wife, um, she kind of got interested in, in doing some design stuff when I was, when I was getting going with it and I, I have no idea how to market to women. Um, so that stuff, I mean, it moves occasionally, but not, not nearly as much as the men's stuff. I think, I think majority of my women's stuff sells because when a guy convinces his wife that he needs these, they're there to get for his wife as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To make that transition easier. <laughs> He's like, Hey, why don't I just get you a pair too? You know, it's funny that you say that. Cause when you and I talk, right. Cause I'm going to get a pair and I was, and, and for me, it was like, I don't know that my wife would wear these if we go out in the woods, but I know she would wear them just around. Right. I mean, they, <laughs> they have that kind of, uh, I, you know, for the lack of a better dual purpose, I mean, you could wear these things around town, you know, and then wear them on the mountain. For sure, yeah. I get some people just, they just want camp shoes, you know, they're like, Mm -hmm. those are badass camp shoes. And then some people like, like house shoes and um, it's kind of all over the place. You know, it's, it's, it's tough for me to market to my target market and focus on the other uses as well. Right. You know, I can't, I don't, I don't want to do like content where, um, you're just, you're camping or you're doing stuff. Like I want the hardcore hunting scene, uh, more focused on it. So, uh, it's tough to, tough to juggle. I've actually done a few, uh, custom runs for people in the earthing community, which I didn't even know was a thing. What the hell is that? But, yeah. It's a thing, um, where people, there's a, there's a magnetic energy that comes from the ground mm-hmm. and, it, it can conduct through your feet and help with health benefits apparently. Right. I've heard, I've um, actually heard of that. I didn't realize it was called earthing. Yeah. And it, a leather sole is fine, but you can't have an insole. Mm-hmm. So whenever I get people reaching out to me, they're like, Hey, can you make these without an insole? And I'm like, Hey, if you get a group together, you know, if you, if you got some buddies and stuff, you guys are all into that. Like you get a group together, I'll do like a group buy type thing and I can do a run of, of soulless um, shoes for you. So I've done that a few times and everybody always raves about them. And they're like, man, you need to market that. Like it's a great earthing shoe, this and that. I'm like, I don't know if gripping grins during archery season would really mix with the earthing crowd. <laughs> but I'll back if I start marketing that, like I don't have a marketing degree, but in my heart, I feel like that's just not going to vibe. Well, you know, that, you know, that's a, that's an interesting topic, right? So because there's a, there's always a fine line and I don't think that it's from our demographic or from the hunting side of things, but it's, but there is a definite bias to hunters or, you know, things that hunters use and do, uh, in other markets. Um, there, there's a huge bias and it's like, man, you don't know what you're missing by ignoring some of this stuff. I mean, even if you look at just like, you know, hikers, backpackers and whatnot, and what they're missing in terms of apparel, backpacks. Uh, my wife's yelling out the window as she sees my headphones on my head. This is what happens when I have the garage door open. Uh, you know, they're they're missing out on a lot because of that bias that comes with it. But on the other side of that, what do you do in terms of business when you look at, not to say there's not a lot of, a, 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 butt ton of money to be made, right? Just focused on the hunting demographic. 
but in terms of business, there is a man, a world of money out there. Um, cause that's what you're in business for, right? Is to make money that that's a rough one, man. I think uh, me personally and who the hell am I, but I think you have, you have a product that can span a number of demographics. Um, and it, and outdoors, I mean, just like you said, right. People just wanting, you know, that are into moccasins. And I'm sure that there's people that are just into moccasins. Um, I, I don't know. I think a heck of a product is a heck of a product, no, regardless of who it's marketed to. Yeah. And I've thought about that, you know, like how do I kind of diversify that? Um, you know, obviously my, my sole focus is just to, to plant my roots right here in the, in the hunting industry. Um, but eventually, you know, long-term I could, I could foresee, you know, kind of reaching out into other things because I've, I've already seen the engagement on Instagram and stuff where I'll just like, if I pay 50 bucks to promote a post, uh, just to expand the reach, um, it'll with, without a designated course, um, if I don't focus on, you know, strictly hunters in a, in a specific demographic, like it'll just kind of spread wild. I mean, and I've had like, you know, like rap artists, you know, like, dude, these are rad, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. reaching out to me and stuff and, and I'll see, I'll see the following go up and then I start posting stuff during hunting season, the following starts to drop, you know what I mean? So it's not a, it's definitely not a long-term plan to try to mix this with anything at the moment. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting. So I just pulled it up. Um, that shit, there's a Facebook page, moccasin lovers. I mean, there you go right there. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew, there has to be, you know what I mean? There, there's a world of, of folks that love moccasins. I'm sure. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like everything that I've been doing, it's been so, um, just like fluid, uh, in the, in the hunting industry that mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, just, just keep your focus here and, and keep riding this out, you know, cause it's whatever I'm doing is working. Right. You know, I, I don't have plan. I don't have anything figured out, uh, as far as strategically. So, um, having this momentum that I have right now, it's, it's just like, just keep doing what you're doing and, and focusing on these, on these folks. I mean, if it's meant to be right here right now, then run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tr- I'm, dude. I'm so I'm just scrolling as we're, as we're talking here, looking at it. And there's like a, there's a subset of society, man. That's just around moccasins. God dang. This is a trip. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, a lot of, some guys, like when I was at that archery show, they're like, Oh yeah, well I carry the five finger, um, Vibram shoes, uh, when I go stalking, uh, and I, I keep them in my pack and I can throw those on. And I'm like, you know, it, it's difficult for me to process because I'm like, have you read the, you know, vegan materials and the, you know what I mean? Like how they, how they're so focused on making everything anti-animal, you know what I mean? I'm like, that's my complete opposite purpose. Like I'm, I'm into reusing all of these, these items that come from animals, you know, and that's where, that's where it gets a little tricky is some of these, some of these companies just tout to anti hunting companies. And I'm like, those, there's a chance I'm not saying it's true, but the, the Vibrams that that guy's using in his pack, you know, 10% of those proceeds went to an anti-hunting group. Dude, anybody that, that has the skill set to pull off your boots, take your sock off and get your toes in a vibrant five finger <laughs> shoe during a stock. I want to talk to that guy. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, you're a bad motherfucker. Yeah. I don't care what you kill. The skill set just to slide them bitches on in that amount of time without your toes <laughs> right. being in one. <laughs> oh man. Oh, especially if they're 
sweating there. It's like trying to put on underwear after you shower, man. Oh, that ain't happening. That dude, the, those things, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I hope somebody that uh, has those in the pack hears this shit because you you are a champion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, shoot, man, why don't you uh, drop the, the website where folks can uh, find Ancient. Um, definitely drop the spelling of Ancient as we talk about the website, the uh, the social platforms, et cetera, man. Yeah, you've said it uh, a few times and you've pronounced, pronounced it correctly. That's kind of usually a, a topic of conversation is like, how do I actually pronounce this? Um, it's spelled A-N-X-Y-N-T. Uh, the website is ancient, A-N-X-Y-N-T dot com. And then Facebook and Instagram are both just at ancient, A-N-X-Y-N-T. So uh, I kind of, I used to do a lot of custom license plates for my buddies when we were in high school. So I'm really good at mixing up letters and numbers to make a, you know, make a whole word out of something that wasn't really there before. So when I found that one word domain, uh, I knew that there would be a little bit of education behind it as far as teaching people how to pronounce it. But um, just the whole vibe is is using kind of what our original, what the original hunters back in the day, you know, I mean, they were rocking uh, leather sleeves over their feet to get in and kill stuff. And I'm like, how have we gotten so far away from that? It's crazy. Heck yeah. And it's a, and it's a cool ass logo too. Um, you guys get on, check out, uh, check out the apparel. Let's see. You got, uh, you got some apparel, the headwear you got using the melon hats. Those are sick. Um, yeah, those are Gave one of those away on, on your IG live. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We did do that. Huh? We did do yeah. that. Yeah. Those, uh, those melon caps are uh, nice. I just hit 5,000 followers today on the Instagram. So I think I'm going to, I might jump on an Instagram live and have a few people chime in and throw out some t-shirts today. Cause I'm pretty stoked. Heck yeah, man. Congratulations on that. I don't, yeah. I don't see you going anywhere, but upward brother. Um, you know, in, in terms of, of people I come across, you know, you, you're definitely there in terms of like, you know, a solid individual, um, you know, your head seems pretty clear and you're not cut up and all the, the bullshit that we see around. So I wish you the best with this, man. I think, uh, I think sky's the limit for you. On the mission to end barefoot stalking, man. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only goal here. Hey, shit. Well, all right, man, let's, uh, yeah, let's, uh, push it out there and, Everybody go check out Ancient. Give Andrew a follow if you guys have any questions. Um, you know, hit him up on uh, on social um, or contact him through ancient.com. I appreciate Perfect. the time, man. Yeah, no, thank you, man. It's awesome um, to put myself out here and try to, try to do some of these, man. I know it was a, kind of a mix-up of schedules, but I appreciate you putting me on and rolling with it. No, hell yeah, brother. Um, but we got an hour and 20 out of it, so that's pretty good in terms of mix-up. I think we could do it again right now, too. Oh, hell yeah. E easy, dude. I didn't even hit half the points I, walk, I I wrote down as we were talking, man. But I can I can go for hours. Most folks uh, get tired of it. Perfect. We'll do a version 2.0 live one of these days on one of these shows. There you go, man. All right, brother. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.